Stu here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the brilliant Nina Conti recorded live at Soho Theatre. Nina's on tour at the moment uh, with, a, a, I mean, very, very unusually for a ventriloquist. Uh, she is doing a completely improvised tour called In Your Face and you can get details for that at ninaconti.net forward slash live. Uh, she's also going to be at the Pleasance One every night at 7.30 at the Edinburgh Festival. So uh, jump on that, ninaconti.net forward slash live to get tickets for In Your Face, either at Edinburgh or on her massive national tour. Um, and just before we go in, I just want to uh, say right off the top that I have recently confirmed the next live guest uh, for the Soho Theatre, which will be on the 2nd of June, and that is Will Anderson. Now, some of you will know Will Anderson if you're listening in the Southern Hemisphere. He's massively famous over there. Uh, he's an Australian comedian. I actually saw him do some ridiculous live <laughs> monstrosity, some improvised nonsense with uh, him and a similarly inebriated uh, Lindsay Webb, who you'll remember from uh, from an earlier episode of this show. Um, will is just tremendous, and you can see him at the Soho Theatre on the 2nd of June. Uh, you can go and see his show. He, he actually opens that night, so you can see his show at 7.30, then come and see the live podcast at 9.30, and you can use the discount code FAFF, F-A-F-F, to get 25% off your tickets at SohoTheatre.com. So, that's the next Soho Live one. This is the one that happened this week, starring the brilliant, charming, and very, very funny Nina Conti. Thank you. Let's, let's shake hands as if we haven't just been chatting in the, uh, in the dressing room for a little while. And uh, I'll just remind you at the top, yes, if you wouldn't mind. I, the thing I'm, I always need to say to my guests on the live shows is to hold the, the mic like you would in stand-up mode. And I always feel stupid doing that. But of course, Nina doesn't do that because her hands are frequently otherwise engaged. Yeah. And you, when you first arrived, you said, uh, and I, I haven't brought a puppet with me, is that okay? <laughs> and we agreed that what with this being a largely audio-based medium... <laughs> Fill in your own joke. Good. <laughs> so, welcome. Nina, you've just come... We'll, we'll just launch straight in. You, you've yep. just come back from Melbourne. I have. And uh, what show were you doing at Melbourne? What, what sort um, of venue, what kind of experience did you have over there? I, I was at the town hall and I was doing In Your Face, which is my new show, which is all improvised. And I bring people up from the audience and I put masks on them and okay. make them talk. 
Excellent. And that's the, that's the whole of the show? That's the whole of the show. Because that sort of became... A, well, I don't know how long you've been doing that, but I sort of think of that as being your closing bit in a... If I were to see you on a gala, yeah. you'd do a 15, say, and you, the last five would be two people out of the audience with the vent masks. Yeah. I've, every show I've ever done, though, I've ended up making my closing bit the start of the next show. Okay. It just ups the ante. Deliberately. Works harder. Yeah, deliberately a little bit. Or I think I like that bit. I want to keep that bit in. I'll take that as a starting point. Okay. And your, uh, those sections, now we've, we're right into process here immediately. So uh, um, those bits, are, are they improvised? Yes. Because what, from, which bits? Well, from the stuff that you're making the people say yes. looks really playful. And I think you mentioned it in Clowning Around, which was uh, your recent documentary, which we'll chat more about in a moment. Um, you mentioned that, that you'd taken some of that clown on stage with you. And it looks like, from what I've seen, like, um, that you're being very, very free and playful with what you're making the people say. You're sort of responding to them. Yeah, I'm completely uh, reliant on them and what they do and their gestures. And even if they do nothing, I have to imagine that's the best thing that they could do and make that work. Okay, that's an interesting... That's sort of an element of psychology for you there. Like, you can't yeah. be going, oh, Christ, they're not doing anything. Well, I spent a lot of time choosing things, oh, that person won't be good, or that person won't be good, or oh, well, maybe they'll be okay, but maybe, all that stuff. And then I just forgot about casting and thought, whoever I choose is the best person. Okay. Because they're who I've chosen. And, you know, no one came to be the entertainment. That's completely up to me to make it work. So it's just optimism that I've had to work on. And just for people who haven't seen this, I mean, this is all over YouTube and you did it on Live at the Apollo as well, but could you just describe for people who haven't seen it exactly what the setup is? Yeah, it's a jaw which which I control with a sort of bicycle pump and uh, it opens and shuts I don't know how it works. With it's like a half. Pressure? It's like a lower half of a face the mask with massive lips. So you can still see the person's real eyes, but their their mouth is controlled by me. Okay. Um, when you're because the reason I asked about sort of improvisation is, as I understand it, when a comic does big TV numbers like that, you have to submit a script beforehand. Yeah. Is that some? I remember Terry Alderton when I interviewed him was talking about the fact that that's why he he found it really difficult to get his head around those kind of gigs was because he, yeah. there was an element of play in it that couldn't be scripted. Well, you don't have to always do it. Live at the Apollo, I don't think you have to do it. Or well, they did so many run-up gigs on the way that they saw the kind of thing I would be doing, and then I don't okay. remember having to write that out. But, um, no, I can tell you a secret, because it's kind of an in-podcast, but I used to use a stooge when I first started using the mask. I paid someone every night. <laughs> Such a cheat. <laughs> I paid someone in Edinburgh, um, the same guy. It was that lady. <laughs> so if anyone came twice, his name's Nathan. He's a, he's a comedian himself. Um, so uh, <laughs> he had a show. Anyway, <laughs> no one noticed. I don't think anyone noticed. And what that was Talk to the Hand. That was 2010, I think, I did okay. that. And so I'd make him I'd make him dance. I'd say I'd make him not dance actually. I'd make him not dance because it was funny and making him say he was gonna dance and he he really didn't want to, but all the time saying, Yeah, I really wanna dance. So he um yeah, he did that every night and I paid a stooge. And then I was doing um the same show at the chocolate factory and he couldn't make it and I had to use someone from the audience. Okay. And suddenly it was just a lot funnier 
It was ah, okay. One hundred and fifty percent as funny. And oh, it's sad news for Nathan there. <laughs> Re- released from his contract. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he was very good. But it was more just to do. It was just more bristly and alive. And I said funnier things because there were unexpected gestures and th- it was just way funnier. So I never went back. And then, like live at the Apollo, there was two people. A lot of people thought they were Stooges, but they weren't. No one since. No one okay. since Nathan. Well, how can we believe her now? <laughs> <laughs> um, did you, did, when you were using a stooge, did you, did you ever feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of conning them here? Or did you yeah, feel like, it, it was did horrible. you feel guilty about it? You look like you feel guilty about I, it. If you look at my, yeah, I was twisted in knots, just remembering it. It feels so, it's, because now I know how unnecessary it is. Mm. It's unnecessary and cowardly and unimaginative. Bad Nina. <laughs> This con artist, yeah. This uh, just something that occurs to me. I said to you before, I've got so much that I want to talk to you about. But already, just that moment there of you going bad, Nina, <laughs> kind of reminds me of something that permeates certainly a lot of your your visual work. And I guess your, I'd, I'd be interested to know how much of your stage act, which is that when you have uh, you made a film, Her Master's Voice, yeah. And you also have made this recent uh, documentary, Clowning Around, about being a giggle doctor or, or a hospital clown, although I know that term now is not allowed within the industry. Oh, yeah. Not as a result of anything Nina did. Um, but uh, <laughs> as far as we're aware. But um, when you are interviewing yourself, I'm just fascinated by this process of you. You're sat with Monkey, and Monkey, one of your most sort of uh, famously notorious kind of puppets, I guess, yeah. is interviewing you about your experiences. So it's the perfect foil, because obviously it's you interviewing yourself. Yeah. And obviously it's very easy to forget that it's you interviewing yourself. But it strikes me as, is that part of your writing process? Do you sit with Monkey and improvise at home? In an attempt, or have you ever? Have you done that? Talk us through yeah, the, I have the, done it. the different ways that you would do that. Um, oh God, there's quite a, a few things came to mind. One thing is that as a as an interviewer, self interviewing, he knows all the secrets, so he knows exactly where to go straight away. Um, you were slightly doing his voice there. Was I? And I am talking about him in the third person. And I am thinking of him as someone who's not here in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling guilty about talking about him behind his back. <laughs> so weird. Um, but uh, I've always found it easier to think, since I started doing this, it was suddenly like someone gave me the right kind of pen. I could think in, I think in dialogue a lot better than in monologue. I find it a lot easier. Um, and, for example, like the voiceover at the beginning of Clowning Around, I say something like, I wanted to do something really worthwhile and I wanted to do something for children. And every time I said that in the voiceover, I was just like, ugh, that's disgusting. I mean, it's sort of worthy and I didn't like it at all. So it's, when it came to doing it, one time I just did it with Monkey and suddenly it was just like really easy to say. I said I wanted to do something worthwhile. And then he says, what, more worthwhile than entertaining drunken adults, you know. And I say, yeah, I wanted to do it. And it's suddenly, it's fine because I've undermined it, I've taken the curse out of the worthiness of wanting to do something. Yes. Anyway, but sometimes, um, especially if I've been working with someone else or some, someone trying to write for Monkey, I think, oh, this is not right. We'll just have to get him out and see what he would say. And then when his, when his face is there in front of me, his words come out. Okay. And what, does he ever get... Does he ever get writer's block? Is there ever moments? 
Are there ever moments when you're stuck for something? Yeah, yeah. He'll look at me and go, God, nothing, Nina. (laughs) (laughs) That aspect of self-criticism, I think, is, is one of the most fascinating elements of her master's voice is about... There's a particular interview you do with yourself where I think you're possibly drunk and you are... That's not my... That's not me condemning Nina. I'm fairly sure it's said in the interview. <laughs> but you have a new... A different puppet, which is a sort of a Jack Nicholson-looking, spiky-haired, joker-faced, quite a pointy, yeah, aggressively-faced yeah. puppet. And it seems to me that if Monkey is the voice of your id, then 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 that kind of joker puppet almost becomes the voice of your self-loathing. You're giving this yourself this horrifically castigating interview mm. where rather than kind of speaking you know, the comedy truth about you. You're speaking a very negative truth about yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the monkey is probably capable of doing the same thing as that puppet, but he's got more charm. That puppet has a really archetypal, scary, ventriloquist face, and I think that's... and an evil-sounding voice, and it all seemed absolutely horrible. But I, th- I think the line that was in the film was, um, you've turned a... Pro- purported tribute into a tarts holiday i think that's Mm. what he said monkey could say that i think yes but i think the way in which monkey would say it would give you more of a break yeah maybe yeah yeah maybe i felt it was i i by the end of it i wanted you i wanted at the end of the film to see you encasing the joker puppet in concrete and just <laughs> dumping it in the sea although you couldn't do that in case it were then in the sequel it turns up in a sort of horrifying he did, way he, he did have a storyline actually that got cut he, what was um, his storyline he was really unhappy and uh, so i took him to that puppet shop where they had all the different puppets and got him a woman's body <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly he, he was happy. But it was one too many things to include. It oh, in. I'm so glad there's a sort of quasi-happy <laughs> ending for that bit. But, it, but do, you, do you kind of... What, what are your thoughts on that, that you're, that you're giving voice to a part of yourself that, that... You know, what's the difference between that and when a comedian... I, I, I say this, i tell you where I'm going with this, is yeah. I spend a lot of time trying to write about my anxiety and often I end up with the anxiety itself running the writing process and I just end up feeling so negative about what I'm doing that I can't think of anything funny. Right. Discuss brackets puppets. (laughs) (laughs) That's the laziest question I think I've asked someone. (laughs) And and I I should say, I feel like I can ask you this because one of the the elements that comes through, certainly in in the films, is your, your, your vulnerability. You're very happy... Or I don't, maybe not happy there was the right word, but you're very willing to show us your real emotional journey, your vulnerability, your feeling that you can't do it, your, feeling, you know, your worries that why the hell are you here? Mm. And there's something I really could agree with and go, oh, God, yeah, I feel all the time in here. But I, I don't have someone to, to turn it into a conversation with. I know. I just find it much more easy. It's, it's, it's less painful than somebody worrying about themselves just in a monologue I don't know for me it's very easy with the puppet and it's not such a turn off it doesn't it is equally self-indulgent it just doesn't seem so (laughs) because you're throwing responsibility elsewhere I don't know I can't discuss it what what is it what was the question there there, there was no question it's a big one wasn't it Um, your self-loathing becoming comedic yeah, because this isn't a funny little peanut-faced monkey. And, you know, then we're all so ridiculous all the time. We're such idiots. And it's much nicer to, to reflect that in a face of an idiot. 
like a little monkey idiot, you know. It draws attention to the ludicrousness of all your worries and, you know, your vanity and everything. It's, lo- it's lovely to undercut that. Something I'm... Uh, having been in a couple of double acts in my life, I, whenever I see a happy double act, I always think, God, it must be so good being in a double act, but, of course, you've got to split the money in half. You don't. You've nailed this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true. It's really cheap as well. He was like, ten quid. <laughs> and you, you ended up buying several. Has he been... Yeah. I think the impression I got was that he, he was discontinued. Yeah. And is therefore, you've got spares that are yeah, very valuable. Yeah, I've got a few spares. Yeah, not many. Not enough to last me. <laughs> It depends how long I live, but I've got about 20 years monkey left. <laughs> what an awful... Well, I mean, that brings us to the next thing we could talk about, which is your... Some of the most... I want to ask you about what your, what your standing is within the Vent Act community. Right. Because I, when on Her Master's Voice, when you are at a, a ventriloquist convention... Um, and you are performing a set, which must be scary. I often think if magicians are performing sets yeah. in front of other magicians and so on. Um, your, the, the bit you choose to perform is your whole, the kind of the meta bit of taking the puppet away, talking to the hand, and then you throw the voice of monkey into the air and then into yourself, and you end up physicalizing the monkey, which yeah. is one of the most kind of brain-fizzing routines I think I've ever seen. Have you, has anyone else ever done that in ventriloquism? Did you invent that? Uh, no, I don't think anybody's done that. Uh, people have done voice swaps with their puppets. Okay. Uh, where, you know, the, the puppets start speaking with their voice and they speak with the puppet's voice and they go, you know, I've seen that done quite a few times. But uh, no, I don't, I don't think anybody's embodied. And it's so funny because they all sit there with pens and they all write <laughs> down your jokes. And they all write down everybody's jokes. And I don't know, jokes. There are loads of joke books for sale. I don't know. It doesn't have the same pride ventriloquism as stand up. Yeah. In well, that it's, convention, it's like, can I use your joke about, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because it seems it's the Venn diagram with comedy and magic, isn't it? And I've always thought of magic as kind of modular, like people sell tricks with the patter that accompany the trick. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. So I guess the kind of Ventax are maybe a little bit more happy to do that did you yeah. i mean what was the reaction obviously on the on the night they were they were blown away but what did people did people come up to you and say oh i like that bit i'm doing that <laughs> i don't know it's it's worth scouring youtube somebody might be doing some of it by now um i think i don't know it it's fine it went well but i i had to not swear it's quite religious there as well there's a lot of okay. religious ventriloquists and people who do the puppetry <laughs> no, and the no pulpit. more two terrifying words <laughs> <laughs> um so i i felt like a bit dan- maybe like a bit of a dangerous character out there but okay. it was very warm actually the response it okay. was nice yeah and and with that in mind with that kind of modular thing i mean i, I think Certainly from the YouTube comments that I've seen on some of your videos, there is a, a feeling that you invented the, the mask bicycle yeah, pump act. no. Which is a thing you can buy, isn't it? Yeah, you can buy those. But you're sort of doing it... I've, I haven't seen anyone else do Keith it with Lemon two. Keith Lemon is doing it as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that, okay. Yeah, but... Um, that, is that annoying? Fit. <laughs> I mean, given, given that of the two of you, you're a, you know, the experienced ventriloquist. No, it's fine. I mean, it happened. It's, it happened as well at uh, 
the comedy awards where I had put the mask on Jonathan Ross for a minute and then Lee Mack said, give me that. And Kim was way funnier with it than I had just been. I was like, fuck, fuck, <laughs> stop that. Stop, don't show people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, but I think what makes yours so unique is that the one, the, the, there's a couple of sort of like cruise ship entertainer style acts who are doing that. There was a huge the, the, deal, I think, as far as I know, almost a lawsuit with an American ventriloquist who was suing an English ventriloquist over using one of those masks and then somebody else came back from the 50s and said, listen, I, I invented this. Long, no one can paint in this because I invented this and everyone's free to use it. And he's put a sort of statement online. So this is Nina. Um, there is some, <laughs> there is, I mean, there's already been at this point in the interview some revelatory stuff and there's even more coming up. It was so exciting to speak to Nina. She has got just a combination of a kind of, yeah, a real vulnerability and an amazing skill. And yet, as she was saying, this this obsession that she has, that she's boring somehow, that's a very unusual one for a comic, I think, um, but fascinating to, to dig into, and we'll, we'll keep talking about that shortly. Um, Nina is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, she's on tour with In Your Face, as you've heard. It's a completely improvised ventriloquism show, um, and she is... I mean, if you can trust anyone to improvise brilliantly through other you know through other creations that's i mean that's something you can't see anywhere else and if you can trust anyone to do it it's the brilliant nina conti the show's called in your face it's on at edinburgh at 7 30 every night uh, at the pleasance one and the national tour you can get tickets for at ninaconti.net forward slash live now it is with enormous pride uh, that i can tell you that i myself and also the podcast are both going to the just for laughs festival in montreal this july i'm so excited about this um their website is www.hahaha.com that's how pro they are they managed to bagsy the website hahaha.com um and uh, you can get tickets there for me i'm in the the british gala uh, along with other acts i think they've all been announced now i'm fairly sure it's pepper evans ed gamble i think russell howard's headlining it and um i think i, I don't I don't know whether Sarah Millican is in that or is, is doing her own show. I know she's going out there as well. I know Jimmy Carr is going out there from the UK as well. Gina Yashere will be on uh, one of the Mixed Bill shows. But some of my very favourite comedians are going to be out there. Patton Oswalt is going to be there. Dave Chappelle's going to be there. Uh, Mike Myers is uh, is going to do it, for I think, for the first time, or certainly for the first time in a long time. Um, so I, I'm just over the moon. You can go to hahaha.com uh, if you're listening in Canada, um, or if you're going to be over there uh, from anywhere else in the world. Their Twitter handle is at just underscore four underscore laughs, uh, and you can tweet them with a hashtag or tweet me and congratulations with the hashtag uh, JFLMTL. I'm going to try very, very hard to get Patton Oswalt on the podcast. Um, he will be deluged, I'm sure, with requests from similar podcasters. But I am doing a live uh, show at the Hyatt Hotel in the off uh, off JFL uh, category. So it's sort of part of the festival, but just sort of uh, not in one of the bigger rooms, obviously, because their big rooms are enormous ballrooms. Um, so I'm going to try my best to bring you Patton Oswalt. Um, if we can't get Patton, there are just hundreds of other brilliant brilliant comics up there chris hardwick the nerdist himself he's going to be there 
Um, also, if we could get someone like Mike Myers or Dave Chappelle, I, I can't see Chappelle doing it, but I'm going to aim squarely at Patton. If any of you listening to this are professional comics who are friends with Patton Oswalt, who have a connection to him, please give me a shout. Info at comedianscomedian.com and let's see if we can... What I would love is that if he was recommended the show by someone whose opinion he trusted to begin with, because he must get lots of requests, but he is one of my all-time absolute favourites. So let's put the hashtag get me Jackie Chan on hold for a minute. Um, and instead it's get me Pat Oswald. So um, yes, I, how exciting. I'm so excited about that and uh, have a little look at their website, hahaha.com uh, and you can see all the various brilliant things that are happening there. Thanks for your donations. Uh, quick, a quick comedy donation story and then I'll tell you a bit more about Will Anderson and we'll crack on with this interview with Nina. Um, I was at the Secret Welsh Festival that we don't talk about, recorded a brilliant episode with Mark Watson, which I shall bring to you next week. Really, really fascinating episode. Mark gives us uh, his thoughts, the final word maybe on the um, on the whole Stuart Lee issue. You remember Stuart Lee did some material about the pear cider that whether you realised it at the time or not was a sort of 20 minute dig at Mark Watson. So we talk about what it felt like to have one of your heroes have a pop at you in live and recorded media it's, it's sort of fascinating mark's response to it um that and uh, and lots of other really interesting stuff about mark and all those comcom favorites his anxiety and so forth and his refusal to accept how successful he is on, on any level that's meaningful to his happiness cracking episode but Whilst I was at McCunfliffe, a couple of people, bless you, two or three people, came up to me uh, and did the old palming a small cash donation into my hand and saying something cool and then walking away. I mean, these are these are <laughs> there have been some belters recently, but so far the current king uh, is a man who I later discovered to be Darren Hubbard, uh, who he and his partner Trudy are both big fans of the podcast. Thank you both very much to them for listening, uh, Darren. Well, I'll tell you the story. I was I was urinating in a uh, one of those, you know, the portaloo urinals. Like you know, you get the kind of portaloo individual cabins, and then there's there are ones like big green ones that look from the side like they're sort of disabled toilets. And I'd noticed that you know men were kind of peeling away from the queue and going to that one. I thought that's very out of order to use a disabled portaloo. And then I I kind of was desperate at one point, and I thought, well, I'll just I'll just check. And I looked through it, and it's not a disabled access one. It's actually something which has got a urinal trough on either side of it so I was having a wee in that in the dark and there's no lighting in that system it's, it's a secret Welsh festival the infrastructure is uh, perfectly appropriate without being <laughs> without necessarily being uh, extraordinary so uh, it was very dark I was weeing and there was a guy weeing behind me and I felt a hand push what I now realise was a small cash donation into my back pocket and uh, I, I laughed and I said you are apps you've got to be kidding me and the something cool he chose to say was don't speak which was just it absolutely made my festival so thank you to Darren and also thank you for later coming up to me and going yeah sorry that was me so I didn't remain scared and none the wiser for the rest of the festival so that was all that thank you if you'd like to donate you can press some cash into my hand uh, and say something cool if you see me at a gig um, a couple of gigs I've got I'm in the stand in Edinburgh all next weekend uh, and I've got a preview coming up at Bear Funny which is at the Finsbury pub in Manor House that's just two seconds away from Manor House tube station so whether you're in London or Edinburgh Edinburgh, oh, the, the Finsbury one, that's uh, Bear Funny on the 27th of May. That's a Wednesday. Uh, and I'm in Edinburgh all next weekend, which I'll try to do the maths quickly in my head now. That is, what are the dates? I should have looked them up. 
And I'm not doing it in my head. I'm clearly looking it up online. Um, the stand in Edinburgh, 14th, 15th and 16th of May. So that's next weekend. Come and press some cash into my hand and say something cool if you fancy or donate online to support the podcast at comedianscomedian.com. You can click on the donate button and choose your own uh, choose your own adventure. Choose your own financial adventure. Um, you can decide how much to give me, whether it's a pounder show, a pounder show that you found you particularly useful a one-off cash donation of £20 or more, feel free to do that. Please don't tick the regular donations button. We simply still cannot make it work, and we don't know why. Something in the code, which may as well be the Matrix, as far as I'm concerned. Um, But thank you. I really appreciate your donations. I say it every week, and I mean it every week. Um, If you can't afford to donate, that's absolutely fine. But if you can support the podcast, then that kind of pays for the people who can't afford to pay. Um, Occasionally, I'll get a student send me two or three quid. That's very kind of you. I really appreciate it. But if you can't afford to pay, it is, or you choose not to, that's absolutely fine. The podcast is free. It's a resource. It's here for you. But if you like it, if you feel good about it, and you would like to help me feel even better about it, then please do donate either in cash uh, or online at comedianscomedian.com or at Patreon. If you subscribe to Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash concompod. That's all the stuff about cash. One last blurb for Will Anderson. Um, Goodwill, which was one of his recent shows, uh, just to give you, if you're not familiar with him, I know his profile in the UK isn't as massive as it is in Australia, although that that is changing. Um, He was awarded a Fringe Award for Best Comedy during the Adelaide Fringe Festival and did a a sellout. This will give you some idea of his stature. He did a sellout 21-night run at the 1600-seat Princess Theatre during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and he got five-star reviews for that. It was fantastic. So can't wait to hear from Will Anderson. Uh, and that's the 2nd of June at SohoTheatre.com, and you can, well, it's not, I mean, that's the website. I'm not going to be interviewing him at SohoTheatre.com. That would probably be easier, a lot less admin for everyone. But no, it's a live event, and uh, you can enter the discount code FAF to get 25% off your tickets at SohoTheatre.com. That's all of that. Now let's get back to the brilliant Nina Conti. Let's let's talk about the kind of the clowning and how that that mm. impacted. Because you, you, how long were you training at at, uh, at Golier, which on, on this podcast is referred to as the French Awards School, um, oh, yeah. which everyone goes to and then comes back and wins Edinburgh. <laughs> but yeah, as part of your journey to become a, a hospital clown, yeah, you went away to try and because you, you you couldn't take monkey, you didn't feel monkey was working in that environment, so you went away to try and discover your own clown. Yeah, and and your description of. I, at one point, you look at the camera and go, I feel like I'm pretending to be a shit clown. And that, that, is, that to me, I was like, God, that's exactly what failing at clowning feels like. <laughs> yeah, right. It's I've hideous. Gone undercover as someone less funny than me. Yes. Yeah, it's just shit. It was really, um, but it was really useful because it was all about finding the game. And if you can find the game, and it's so easy once you realise it's easy. I mean, whatever the audience is laughing at, you do more of and if you have if they're not laughing at anything you just keep trying to find new things and then something they like you know it's like a hotter colder thing and Mm. you get closer and closer to the hotter and then keep going staying in the hot and building on that and uh and i find that really exciting with somebody from the audience in a mask because they also feel that they also realize because at the beginning they're doing nothing then they might raise an arm and it you know, I'll say something stupid as they do it, and they realise, oh, okay, everyone loves it when I do this. Yes. And then, like, they start to do more and more, and they kind of break open a little bit. 
And and what is it? Do you think about like the? I suppose the the archetype, the idea of the, the stereotype. Sorry, of of Goliath is that he shouts at you until you cry, and then you're funny. Do you know what I mean? It's like everyone seems. To, everyone I know who's been through that process just gone. This just this awful emotionally battering journey. Why mm. why why is that? Do you think? I guess you're just putting up a face, and you're not allowing everyone to see you. You're performing, you've got a slightly acting face on when you're in that panic and you're thinking, oh, why don't they, they don't like me, they're not, they're, you're not showing how much you care that they don't like you. You might go, oh, that was shit, and that's just still awful, until you break and weep and tell you funny. Because <laughs> that's just fucking hilarious. <laughs> gone so badly for that person. And then it's just. And you just see someone give up, and that yeah. becomes funny. And then they're free. I mean, this sounds like torture. Can be, you know, I mean, I, I, I know what you mean, but I'm yeah. concerned that people listening are going to go, God, I. Sounds really painful. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, not re- it's really not painful, though, when people cry. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when the clown teacher's shouting at them. Yeah? They're sort of all tearful. So bad. You are so bad. <laughs> And it's like suddenly so funny. And did you feel approaching that? Did you like you said you'd you kind of you'd given up all of the things that made you funny? Like I was, we were yeah. saying before, I, I did. Uh, I went to one of Phil Burgess, Doctor Brown's clown courses, and there were a bunch of other stand-ups on it who had variously different reactions to being told that they weren't funny. I think a lot of people have gone into it going, "Well, I'm going to do this course, but you know, I can smash Reading Jonglers on a Friday, so I'm basically going to be all right." You know, like, what, what's the worst you can do? And people were just dissolving. Yeah. Did you find that you were taking into it, like, I mean, you've, been, you've got years of experience as a, as a funny person. Did you feel that you had to shed parts of what you, you understood were your funny qualities? Oh, God, everything. I would come on, like, and do a weird voice, you know, some strange Yugoslavian voice and a hunch and, like, he... Just tell me, no, no, no more voices. This is Phil Burgers. Okay. He, he, so he was just shouting, no, no more voices. No more hunching. Stop hunching your face. And I was like, oh, God. And stand tall and speak loudly as you. And I thought, like, oh, that's just going to be the least funny thing ever. But, um, and it's hard. It's hard to make this sound believable, but then it, I suddenly did do a really good bit. Standing straight and proud and speaking very loudly. I went somewhere funny. And it, I don't know what, I can't remember anything I said for those 10 minutes, but it was a hit. And what's, I wonder if that's something about vulnerability, because it, like I, I, I remember working with a puppeteer years and years ago at college, and he said, he kind of he did a puppet workshop for us, and he said that what, the thing that attracted him to puppetry was the fact that he always wanted to perform, but he was terribly shy. And when he started to move a thing like that, he realized no one was looking at him, and it sort of unlocked yeah, that yeah. kind of creativity. Yeah. Now, you're, you're exposing yourself, you're being vulnerable, but you're also... I think there's something interesting. I, I think of ventriloquists as basically hiding, but you don't hide. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of... It's just enjoyable to speak to something that has no responsibility. Sorry, I keep turning my head away from the mic, looking at the imaginary monkey that's not here. <laughs> oh, um, everyone does that. But... Uh, <laughs> the... the um, yeah, the, the lack of responsibility. Because they didn't say it, nor did you say it. You know, the, the puppet didn't say it because oh, it's not real. 
and you didn't say it because you wouldn't have it wasn't from it, it occurred in your head but it doesn't mean that you stand by it it's not necessarily a thought you own so that's all very liberating so just talk a little bit more about the writing process then so if you if you have been through times of improvising with monkey mm-hmm. what are your other techniques do you do you ever write without monkey there do you ever just i don't write like... anymore I hate writing so much that's why i'm doing an improvised show so i never have to sit and write a fucking joke i hate that everyone listening to this will be cheering <laughs> <laughs> um it seems lazy but i come up with much better jokes on stage I always have so i'd go out with a really rubbish act and then think of something funny uh, on the under the pressure of being on stage okay. and keep it in and so when you were writing your shows. really when you were writing your really rubbish act mm. in the early days, what what sort of techniques were you trying to get to get any writing done? Do, were you ever doing like morning pages or? Oh God, I did do a long time ago, but uh, uh, that was when I was an actor. Um, I do, I would I don't know. I'd just sit with a coffee and my laptop and write, and then I'd go to a new material night, and everything was just too verbose. It was too writing written. I can't say that. It's not going to sound normal. So I would have to re, just reword everything at the time to make it less literary. And when you're improvising then in your current show, let's talk about what are you sort of following impro rules? Have you done kind of improv training like sort of, uh, you know, UCB or those kind of things? No, Did you ever learn I, improv or is no, it just a I case haven't, of... No, all I've done course-wise is a little bit of clown recently. Okay. And the rest I've kind of learnt on the job. So... But I, I'd probably be awful to improvise with if I joined an improv troupe because I just don't know what it's like to work with another human being that can speak. <laughs> <laughs> I really throw and me. And wants half the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they could say things that you hadn't meant for them to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so do you have... I, mean, I know from what little I, I know about the world of uh, improv, um, and I'm even calling it improv these days, which seems horribly American, um, but... I understand that there are various rules. Do you have your own kind of mental toolkit of what rules? What, the kind of, of yes and? Yeah, stuff like that. Like, so as an untrained, as a kind of a self-taught improviser, mm-hmm. are there equivalent rules, do you think, that you... Or sort of areas it's you go towards a, a lot to do with the optimism. Like, even if nothing's happening. That's amazing. And I just keep telling the person how amazing they are <laughs> until, until I find some way for them to be amazing. I mean, there was this one guy in Melbourne who he, he, he mowed lawns and uh, he wasn't moving at all. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. It's like nothing happening on the stage forever until he just said, I just, I just wish I could be on the lawn. I just wish I could be... <laughs> And then, and then, so we, then we mowed the lawn on the stage, and like went, he just went from one side of the stage to the other, like holding an imaginary m- mower, and like it, it went really well. So, and I was just going, "This is amazing!" And and we get to the end, and then he go back again, <laughs> and then again. And I think he went. It was one of those lovely things where it suddenly, the longer you did it, the funnier it got. Like really, we're we're at the end now. We go, yeah, we're gonna go back. <laughs> And it's lovely. It wasn't clever. You know, it's like, I didn't do anything clever. It was just remaining optimistic with it. That was the key. So that's, that's my main rule. What drives you to, to keep innovating? Because I think given that you, given that you yeah. and Monkey are very, very funny and you could have kind of gone, I found a thing here, I've got this, and done ten monkey shows mm. with various, you know, variations on that. But you haven't. You've got lots of other puppets. You've got lots of other techniques. You've got that whole meta thing. And now improvising with people in the audience. What, what is it that drives you to, uh, to keep trying experimenting with new things given your baseline is very successful? Um, I suppose it's, it's just getting bored of what you're doing that's not a really nice way of thinking about it but uh if it starts to get boring for you then it's i don't know you only live once you're gonna be desperate um a fear of death (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a fear of death (laughs) i think i'm scared of dying and not doing enough interesting things Ken Campbell is like a massive inspiration. Like, is it wild enough? Is it heroic? All these questions he would always ask as actors, you know. He was only interested in things that were fucking heroic, you know. I um, saw, so I was lucky funny. enough to see Ken Campbell in the, do a gig in the Lake District years ago where he was talking about, and I remember parts of the bit word for word, he was talking about translating the routines of Ken Dodd into pidgin English <laughs> and then taking them around by boat, taking them around the islands of Papua New Guinea. Yeah. And it was the most wild and heroic and outlandish. Yeah. And a lot of it, you sort of you were watching it, going, "This can't be true." Oh, oh that bit is true. I recognise that fact. This bit can't be true. That's no, I mean, definitely a lie. Do you no, know what I mean? He, no, it's all true. No, he really did it. He really like did do it now and do it fully. That was another sort of mantra of his. It could be a really stupid idea, but it, you know, he he could do it heroically. He wore his pants over his trousers for a good deal of time <laughs> when he was trying to teach the world pigeon English. He thought what he was doing was superhuman and you couldn't achieve it if you were a man <laughs> without their pants on over their trousers. I mean, is, is that insanity? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's really, you know, applaudable insanity. That's the kind of insanity you have to have. Uh, some people need to do that for the rest of us just to inspire us. And are you insane in that way Not, do you try no, and, no, do I'm, you try to be do you try to kind of honor the legacy of that sort of insanity? yeah i do i try to i i try to i try to be but i i think i'm really quite normal in comparison 
I'm completely. I've, I always feel very boring. And my puppets remind me of that. But <laughs> why, do they, why do they remind you of that? How do you mean? Because, I don't know, when you're you, you are boring, because you're stuck with you all the time. And so I'm trying to throw bits off and look at them, you know, it makes me seem, like, deeper. (laughs) I don't know, cast off some of the impurities and have them chat back at you. But I do feel boring and I don't feel adventurous. It's quite nice to have a couple of things in my life that I look back on and think, oh, I did do that. That was probably okay. I mean, I Which sorts really of things boring. stick in your mind as your least boring adventures? I think taking on the task of making that film, taking Ken's puppets that he... When Ken Campbell died, he left me his puppets in his will and I took them to a puppet graveyard in Kentucky and made a film about it. And I'd never made a film before and, you know, I didn't have any funding or anything. So I suppose that was... I was, quite, I was glad that I finished that. Doing it was one thing. That was a jolly, really, in a way, going off and filming it. But to actually manage to finish it and sell it and stuff. And what kind of... Do you do you feel that that those kind of adventures would he have he'd would he'd have liked that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it certainly would have had a kind of a resu- you know a, a narrative resolution to it that he'd have liked. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I mean, I get really cross about work a lot of the time because a lot of it gives you a bad feeling. Like, uh, for example, um, <laughs> eight out of ten cats, which I just did, which I was so shit on, and I knew it would be sh- I knew I would be shit, and I didn't want to say yes to it, but I said yes anyway because you just sort of think, oh, people stop asking if I don't do these things. But then I got there and I was so sort of cross that I'd done it, and here I was, and it was as shit as I expected, and oh, you know. Um, What's what's the point of this? Well, let's stick with that for a second. Oh, I know. Okay, I know. So what do I do? So, yeah, and then uh, I'm quite cross about a pilot I've been given that's coming up. I'm really cross about it. I don't want to do it. I think it's going to be shit. (laughs) 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 But if I don't do it, you know, then I won't have done... You don't, like, not do a pilot when somebody's giving you a pilot. That would be probably stupid. Maybe that was, would be clever. Anyway, I can't, <laughs> I can't decide, but I'm going to do it. But I very nearly cancelled it today. And I went running. This is going to make me sound so strange. I went running, and sometimes I run through a problem. Maybe that's how I write. As I'm running, I kind of think of something that's bothering me, and it's sort of with the, or joggles down with the rhythm of the running. <laughs> sort of finds a way through. And um, my, uh, my worry for this run was this fucking pilot, which is a chat show. And uh, where, where I'll interview the puppet uh, celebrities, and I think, oh God, you know, I don't like being mean to people, and sometimes that requires that. And I don't want to just be nicey nicey. I don't want to sit with a puppet facing someone and have a boring. It's just going to be shit. I mean, the whole thing. And then as I as I'm running, and I think I'm going to cancel it. I had an argument with my husband about it, saying I'm just, it's giving me a bad feeling. I'm not going to do it. Um, but then on the run, I had a what would Ken Campbell do? moment and he his voice as I'm running comes in strong like don't let who who are you to get in the way of monkey getting his own show (laughs) 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 
you know, this is not about you. Let him off the leash, yo. Let him say what the fuck he likes. And, and if they don't want it, then they don't have to have it. But don't spoil Monkey's chance. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this pilot. I run along, I'm suddenly so happy. And so, like, yeah, that's what I plan to kind of fuck it up in a heroic way. So if it doesn't get picked up, it's fine. You know, Monkey might be just awful. It might just be awful. People might, well, the guests might walk out. I have no idea. But I'm going to, like, let but Monkey presumably, drive Presumably, if it. it does get picked up and you've done it super hard for Monkey, mm. then if it does get picked up, then that's kind of licensed to continue doing that and give Monkey some heroism. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I, uh, it's happening here. It's happening here in a few weeks' time. Excellent. And are you, do you, <laughs> do you think, do you think that you you said yes to something whilst not wanting to do it because of part of that legacy of Ken of like, be adventurous. Are yeah. you trying to prove, to, are you saying yes effectively to prove to yourself you're not boring? Yes, I'm probably trying to prove to myself I'm not boring. I mean, that's really the boring choice and it's going, oh no, it doesn't really feel right, I don't want to do it. Why do you worry that you're boring? Because I so am. <laughs> to me. Wait. Which which aspects of you are boring? Given given your career as a as an internationally renowned, award winning, globe trotting puppeteer, kind of, do you know what I mean? Which, yes. which bit of that is boring? I don't know. And, don't know and can you imagine why that an ingrained thought? I don't know. It feels like that, but it's. I th- I think there's just so many people who are less boring. I don't know. After I'm not that boring. I don't want to go on about how boring I am. Because I'm not that boring. <laughs> Can you imagine a version of you that wasn't boring? And what would, by your standards, like what would a non-boring Nina look like? What would you have to do to satisfy yourself once and for all that you weren't boring? Um, God... God, I don't know. We quite like performance art on stage. It's really do or die, like weird and unfunny stuff, just to feel it, rather than always fall back on my tricks. You know, I think it's really heroic when you see a comedian just do something that's just out there and you think, well, they're going to learn something. So they threw the gig, but they, they learned something from it. That's great. Yeah. I like that. I find that I find that so difficult. Even mm. if I've built myself up to go, I'm going to go and take some risks and it just doesn't matter. It doesn't it matter. It always matters. It, yeah, I know. But that, sort of that needing love, it'd be nice to free yourself from that or to not always try to please and just think, oh, well, yeah, I'll do this because it's not working. How much does, given that your, your partner, Stan, is, uh, is a comic as well, mm-hmm. um, how much does he indulge your comics the aspect of you that has a comedian self-loathing oh not well i mean (laughs) neither of us react well to the other one sort of having a low moment (laughs) we're not supportive in that way or we are because we just have no time for it we just think oh you know you know you've been through this before I'm going upstairs. <laughs> a bit like that. Well, I say this to my partner, to my fiance, who's not a performer. I say, you, you know, I, I've tried to say to her now, the system is, you're not allowed to indulge this. Just tell me to fuck off. Just tell yeah. me to go upstairs. Because it's, there's no point you trying to fix this. 
Yeah. The low moments, the self-loathing moments. You know, oh God, that was the worst thing I've ever done. Why am I even doing it? All of that stuff. I just, this, this isn't, that's not a logical argument we can have. But you know those jangle cringes that you have after a gig that hasn't gone well. And I, ha- I did a lot of corporates last year and I had a lot of them because they were, I mean, a lot of these kind of awful moments because it's just such a weird setup when you're there for the wrong reasons and, you, you know, things don't go as planned. And, uh, and so I'd come home cringing, you know, and I'd, it would take a while. It takes a while. You have to sort of offload. What do you do? I mean, you, you drinking after the show, you could try that, but it's, you know, and then you know, partying, a little bit of that might get rid of them. We're just sitting in the car. I don't know. Like, how do you get rid of them? It's like there's a kind of, disaster energy in you that it needs to be dispelled a bit and so and i'll go back to stan and say oh it's really bad don't want to hear it yeah <laughs> you really don't want to hear it he's like oh, just you know have a bath just meditate something you know it's really it's it's i don't know it's, it's dull it's a dull process that you go through again and again when you, i'm i'm interested actually to hear you say that you would do or have had experience of doing badly at corporates. Mm. I would, I would, one of the things I would think was a cast-iron certainty about your act is that you just absolutely kill at a corporate. Yeah, I think the, the hit rate's okay. It's pretty good, probably. It's pretty good. But it's just, um, it's just weird. You just feel uncomfortable. I, I really hate putting on the um, evening dress. and You just feel like a bit of a whore. You are a whore. <laughs> for it i have to say i feel like a whore doing corporates and i'm glad i don't have to wearing an evening dress (laughs) there's a thing i think a a sort of i don't know where i've got this idea from but apparently in the uh, in the 90s that kind of big suit the kind of the big the comedian in the big like a red suit or a crazy colored suit i'm sure i heard from somewhere that that came about because corporates insisted you wear a suit but people were like i'm not wearing a proper suit (laughs) do you know what i mean that they do some version of that yeah yeah Sorry. Wasn't a question. <laughs> I just sort of thought, yeah, no, it's bad. It's, uh, it's, they're, they're slightly weird things. No. <laughs> but part of me is thinking, don't say that, you won't get booked for any more. <laughs> That's okay. If you were to review yourself, what things would you consider to be your weaknesses? Um, playing a kind of oh I'm so shit thing I think it's very tiresome and I think I do that a little bit like I'm a bit giggly like a, a girl like a girl I'm like a little girl but now I'm a woman I'm not a little girl and I should stop going that oh I don't know what I'm doing kind of thing I'd stamp that out I go fuck off you cunt and shut up <laughs> or you know stand by what you're doing or stand there like a professional stop guffawing and you know you know you can do it now so just fucking do it that is a fascinating answer thank you for that <laughs> and, and given that you feel like that why aren't you stamping that out what is it about that is it a safe place yeah. is it a habit for you it's, a ha- it's habitual I think I've done it this evening as well I, it's habitual um, and it's, ingrati- it's ingratiating. It's what you kind of learn. Maybe it's what I learn as a girl trying to get boyfriends, as you know, young girl. It's like a giggly thing. Um, I mean, I don't want to lose the... I want to laugh. I still want to giggle when it's called for, but not just like all in a kind of <laughs> idiotic way. I think maybe I'm more monkey than Nina. 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, in my head, yeah. And so maybe I'd stamp out Nina. <laughs> Show title 2017. <laughs> That's fascinating that you, yeah, well, because Monkey gets to have all the glory. Do you think? Does Monkey get the glory? Does Monkey get yes. to say the unsayable? Monkey gets to have the fun. Yeah. And you sort of titter and apologise for Monkey. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, you, you, maybe you'd rather be saying that's... Yes. Well, as me, I don't necessarily want to say it as me. Uh, but if I could be him, <laughs> <laughs> then I'd have fun. That's not, that's not weird at all. <laughs> I mean, I think this, for me, one of the fascinating things about that is that we all battle our inner demons, all comics and all people, um, but particularly uh, comics, people, artists, trying to create things, trying to say how they see the world. Mm. Everyone has to kind of try and sort of say too much and then reel it back and work out how they, work out how they do it and what they say. But you're someone who actually has physicalised representations of those different voices. Yeah, yeah. So that must be very interesting to to pursue that, to do a show entirely as Monkey, or to do, the, to do the voice throwing thing, to go on and just do Monkey's voice without Monkey there and just say what Monkey would say. Could Monkey ever do a solo show? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it might occur. You mean what with me under a desk, or you mean I would come on so as You, you would come on, just in your head, you'd know that yeah. you were just being Monkey tonight. Yeah, I think I should do that. I think I should do that. That would be the thing. Uh, yeah, it would be really painful, but I really think that's maybe one of the heroic things I have to try, is wow. to come on with that anything and just uh, see what happens. Um, I would like to make some opportunity for people uh, to ask questions. Oh, there we go. I will repeat the question yeah. for the sake of the recording, though I do not respect you, sir, for asking. <laughs> um, is, there, is there a question in that other than the, uh, the, the gentleman in the audience? What was your name, sir? Eamon, a bad man. Uh, Eamon, Eamon asks if you have offered uh, a home to Cuddles and a foster home to Cuddles and Orville yet. Oh, no, I don't think you'd be happy with me. I think it's a, it's a really uniquely bereaved object of ventriloquist public because yes. they lose their voices and everything. I think the... Uh, I don't know. He, he could go to Vent Haven or he could... I don't know. There's, there's a belief that um, you should cover the eyes of a puppet when the... Mm when the soul of the ventriloquist is gone. I've heard that. Or put them in a museum. I don't know. Do What's going to happen to Orville? It's tragic. Do you... I mean, did you ever work with Keith Harris? Did you ever... I met him once, yeah. And did you... What's, what's your kind of place within the, the, the vent community of those kind of acts? Because I assume you don't often get booked on the same bills as other vent acts. No, very rarely. Very rarely. So do you know, do you work with Paul Zerdin or do you just say never, never in the same orbit? Never, never. done a gig. But we have met, we did meet to like knock about an idea about us being a kind of a married couple who had kids and the kids, you know, we, yeah, it was like a CBeebies kind of idea. But we didn't do it in the end. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean... That's, I think we did really well with what was effectively a cheap shot. Um, and the speed at which... You, that's really thrown light now at the speed at which your hand went up. <laughs> Why wasn't there a second series of Family Tree? I have the powers that be didn't want one. I, um, yeah, Do you I have any inkling as to, as to any aspect of it that didn't work? It was much loved. Um, no, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why. But they didn't want to do another one. <laughs> 
Nice backup question, I'm Eamon. Sorry, it's a good question. I'm sorry, I don't know more about the inner workings of of television commissioning politics to know exactly why, but maybe, yeah, I don't know. It was left open for a second. It was. I know mm. they wanted one, and they had lots of ideas of where it could have gone. But uh, but in, in that there. in that show, you were playing B Chadwick, who yeah. also had a monkey. So you were sort of playing yourself. Yes, it was. Was that a stretch acting wise? Uh, no, it was easy. Well, actually, I did wonder. I thought, who could this character be that actually has a monkey on in their life, in their normal life? Because she'd have to be mentally ill to inflict it on her family. And, you know, so I'll have to play her as someone intense and mentally ill. And then <laughs> I said, no, I, I don't have to. I just, I will do. Uh, it was quite a shock to realise, shit, I mean... Yeah, I could just use my personality. <laughs> It'll work. <laughs> um, what is the what is the what bit of material are you the most proud of? I um I'm probably most proud of the bit where the monkey um takes over me. You mean my act? Yes. Yeah, I like the bit where the monkey kind of comes up my arm and do you it. remember how you came up with that were you did you come up with that on stage you do know it's probably a slight response to a criticism from daniel kitson who um said what you're doing is a good example of what i hate <laughs> <laughs> wow um uh and uh with respect to what what what, what aspect just gimmicks you know just go out there and talk he said you should just go out there and talk and so i'm um, I, I really idolised him. I thought he was amazing. And so I was like, thinking, shit, I mean, that's, he, he hates it. You know, like, and so it was sort of the monkey wanting to do straight stand-up and take over me so he could do straight stand-up. Yes. That was what was the genesis of that idea. So I actually haven't moved on. This is ten years later, and I, was, uh, I just sort of came across that thought again as if it was for the first time tonight, didn't I? Yeah. The, <laughs> fucking get your finger out I don't know and was that so So did you have the idea for that as a result of that conversation and then take the idea on stage or did you jot it down ever did you kind I, of brainstorm I used to practice, what you could do with uh, uh, that's the, yeah I don't do it anymore but that is what I used to do I used to film myself in my flat um, talking to the puppet I'd like run an hour long these little DV tapes talking about it mm-hmm. 20 years, no, 15 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. Um, and I'd fill up an hour talking on camera and then I'd watch it back. And if there were funny bits, I'd write them down. Wow. And so that was, yeah, I just sort of was playful with that. And does that ever feel weird? Not when there's a camera there. It feels harder if there isn't one. Really? When a mirror, it feels tragic. Because <laughs> I, I'm always stung. I remember a couple of years ago I interviewed Rod Gilbert for this podcast and he made fun of me for occasionally wandering around my room, you know, with, not with literally a hairbrush, but do you know what I mean? Just kind of, I, I found actually that can be really useful. I just can so rarely bring myself to do it. To do it, yeah. Just to I'm wander sure. around a room saying it out loud and actually discovering new things as you go. It's, it's true. Just, I just, it's God, crazy. it feels but so But I weird. have the illusion of company, so it's not so lonely. <laughs> and then when I look back at the thing and there's that complete plurality to it and it was when I was alone doing it I was thinking of the things that he was going to say and I'm thinking of what I'm going to say and everything and then you watch it back and it looks like two people having a conversation that was Mm. always very pleasing to me or when it didn't I noticed when monkey starts staring off sideways and you know hasn't moved for a while I'm like oh my god he died you have to keep your hand moving you know that's how you teach yourself 
And your, um, your, your opening line with Monkey, and I, I say this just on the basis of one set that I saw on YouTube, I don't know for how long it was the case, but you, the opening line used to be something about the um, uh, Monkey saying to you, yes, this is a dead art. Yeah. Do You were kind of speaking the fears of the audience Yes, I get all that out of the way a little bit, like, I know, I know all this, yeah. Yes. Yes, you try That's... to own the criticism straight away. Yes, it's like a variation on, do you know the Raymond and Timkins review? Yeah, what's theirs? Their opening line is, ladies and gentlemen, we are shit. And it's just great because they look like they're going to be shit. Right. (laughs) They very much aren't. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that's that's kind of almost a trope of your work is that you you are one step ahead or several steps ahead of us, you know, of our expectations. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like, the first time I brought my puppet out at gig and saw everybody kind of, I mean, they almost kind of went, oh, just seeing, oh, God, is she going to talk to that puppet? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's a real uphill struggle to make them feel okay with that. And I used to do it by, I don't know, I think I just sort of swore a lot and seemed okay about it. You know, him saying horrible things to me and me laughing them off. I don't know. I just said all the things I thought they might be thinking, like ventriloquism is dead art. And what, would you advise a newer vent act? Would you give that advice to, or what advice would you give to, to someone that was starting out on that road who, who is suffering similar experiences? Well, no, I would, going, I would oh. suggest to get over it. Yeah, yeah, get over it. People like puppets and just worry about being funny, stop trying to be loved and make everything okay. Actually, I mean, you could come on and be funny with that with a puppet, uh, uh, not be a ventriloquist. Obviously, I mean, just the puppet being the focus is a key. Is that what well, I was wondering about? That is there, there there is something magical about the fact that your lips don't move. That little technical, that little technical trick. Mm. Forgive me, but you know what I mean. But the, but the in terms of the performance, you've yes, written helpful. all the jokes. You've, you're doing the movements. It's all you. It's all there. It all belongs to you. What, I was watching it thinking. Really, you, this should be brilliant, even if your lips moved. But there is a difference, isn't there? Yes, it's quite nice that they don't. I'm quite glad that they don't. But uh, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. No. You were. I think I remember hearing years ago that you were a, a very gifted ventriloquist. You picked it up very quickly from Ken, from doing a class with right. Ken. Is that right? That you you just kind yeah. of grabbed it and went, oh, it turns out I'm great at this. Well, no, not straight away. No, I was pretty bad at the beginning. I was really bad. And that very early footage, because I would film myself, um, I look really weird. And the puppet is really sexual, and I'm, like, looking a bit weird. And <laughs> you can see my bra and my shirt. It's like, whoa, this girl's gross. You know, it, 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 it's... And, and my face just looks really, like, stuck in a kind of weird... I don't know, just like a bad face. Like a concentrating face. And is that what... Do you need to do exercises to, to get round that? That's one thing you always know with jugglers. So any juggler, you can make them laugh by just going, remember to smile, and they'll just suddenly remember that they're going... <laughs> they're trying to concentrate. <laughs> yeah, because I would take on the... So, it, the, yeah, that puppet was probably being a bit kind of gross and sexually threatening. I don't know why. That's the first thing that came into my head. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think I had that leer... Uh, on my face because I'm doing the thing so it's disassociating your face from the thing you're saying obviously okay. is what you have to do and that's quite that's quite a lot to unlearn and how long does it take to, to learn including the you know the lip, the mouth sounds or the rest of it how mm. long does it take to learn oh, I mean the, the, the mouth sounds don't mind as, don't take long as long as you uh, forgive yourself for it not sounding perfect so you can just 
hit the ground running. Don't bother making your G, your B sound like a B because it won't for a long time. So just use a G. Fuck it. Get on with it. People know what you're saying. You know, Puppet can have a weird voice anyway, so his consonants don't have to be perfect. And are there any... I, I tell you what, let's, we'll revisit the stamping out question. Amongst, uh, amongst puppeteers, amongst people like, for example, Jeff Dunham, who's probably the biggest vent act in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like you're answering, you're preparing yourself. No, no. <laughs> um, but are there things that people shouldn't do with puppets? Is that the right way to ask? <laughs> no, there's nothing you shouldn't do with a puppet. You should do everything with a puppet. What do you mean? Well, I'm sort of, I suppose I'm, this might not go anywhere, in which case I'll cut it, but I suppose with his, uh, like his biggest uh, success is Ahmed the Dead Terrorist. Yeah, you know what, I, I make a point of being a bit ignorant because I'm nervous I might not like it and then I don't want to say that. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, wa- I haven't watched Jeff Dunham. Okay. So I know I kill you and it's very funny, that character, that, that thing with the eyebrows going up and I kill you and everything that's that's cool I don't want to worry about the politics behind it is it all right that's okay. fine that's absolutely fine yeah what were you going to say I'll you shouldn't, the rest of the interview and just leave that <laughs> you shouldn't do that kind of thing well, I don't know no I just I just I, I suppose I like I tell you what it is is I like knowing in stand-up which stand-ups are liked or loathed by other stand-ups and right. I was just wondering whether there is a similar sense of that aspect of the community amongst Vent or, or speciality? No, I don't. Uh, there isn't. Not that I'm aware of. No, there isn't. Fair dues. We've probably got time for one more question. Now that you're puppeteering people, have you ever had a situation with people where they've come up to you afterwards and said any kind of negative experiences, really, where they didn't like it or they felt exploited? I'm worried. Are you one of them? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I saw. Oh, yes. And you got them to both do sermons. Yes. It's really, really funny, but after a show, I was walking out with them, and there was an element of sort of tension between them, as in their their entire profession had somehow been subtly undermined. Oh, my God, I'm sorry, I've got to repeat. I'm going to run over here so that you can say that. If you just lean forward, so what's your name? John. Eamon is kicking himself he didn't come up with anything this good. John, John, John just, uh, I realise, just pray see that question for us. Um, yeah, I saw you once uh, do a warm-up act earlier this year where you were doing it and it was great and a pastor and his wife were there and you got them to both come up and puppet them as doing sermons and it was really, really funny but I was walking back with them afterwards and there was an element of tension in there as if you had undermined their entire life. <laughs> Thank but you, did, John. Did you, did, I'm just curious, did you, did you hear any of their conversation or did you just pick up on a vibe? There was no conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Nina, you monster. Do you, do you remember that couple? I do. I was nervous about it, but I went there anyway. When he said he was a pastor, there's this this rule I have of the person you speak to is the person. You know, whoever you choose, you don't shop around too much. Yes. Whoever you choose is the right person. So pastor. Okay, deep breath. This is difficult because I don't want to undermine everything. I'm not religious. Um, And yet I don't want to make him really blasphemous. That's the first idea that Mm -hmm. comes in. Is like, oh, well, you know, I could say lots of just dreadful things about 
God and everything. Um, so I didn't do that. <laughs> I think it was okay at the time. I'm sad to hear that he didn't like it. But he... There's a chance John misinterpreted their silence. Perhaps they were uh, blissful. Yeah, right. Do you know, I had um, another pastor in... Was this at the Tricycle Theatre? Yes. Believe it or not, I had another one in the following night. And, and he seemed to really like it, John. <laughs> no, it was a woman, actually. It was a, it was a, wo- a woman, a female bishop. or <laughs> not bishop. I don't know why. Uh, uh, anyway, but she was a female... What do you call it? Priest? Can you have them? Vicar. A vicar. God, what an idiot. Sorry. Right. I didn't know either. You're quite right. right. She was a vicar. And I went a little further with her, and she was very sweet and sort of gave me a hug afterwards. And I thought, oh, that was fine. It was like my agonizing was probably not, not um, needed. But what I, what I remember with him doing was he, he would use his hands. He made a sermon about nothing, didn't he? Like, here we have the, the thing, and here we have the other thing, and it's all about mixing the things or something. <laughs> One star. Was one star in the air? I don't know. Anyway, it was it was nonsense what he did, but he had the right hand gestures for the sermon, yes. and I talked and just nonsense, just rubbishy nonsense. Um, but what? So nobody has ever really come up to me, but there was one dreadful, dreadful bar mitzvah. <laughs> Everyone's leaning forward in their chairs. <laughs> My only bar mitzvah I've ever done. And um, I got the lady up and did a thing about how she was a bit bored of her husband and she was a real party girl and she was looking for another husband. And I was stony. Man, it was stony. I was like, what on earth? And I think it might have been the case. Oh. And someone thought it was so rude and I had been so rude about him. I, I didn't know him. He was way off in the dark. How could I know? He was actually boring. And <laughs> she was looking for another, you know. Oh, my God. But it was really frosty because it was a month. And they were sat there, he was sat there thinking, this is how she planned to tell me. <laughs> She's paid a ventriloquist. <laughs> I don't oh God. I don't know, but then I, I didn't... At the time, I just thought, oh, that was a really bad gig. I mean, it probably wasn't the right kind of... I don't know. Just, I don't know. I, I probably was just rubbish. But it was a friend at the school, on the school run, who came and told me, oh. I heard about this bar mitzvah you did. And it was really bad. You know, they thought you were so rude. Because you'd kind of... I don't know. They thought I'd researched the... The yeah. people, but I don't know. I don't know that that is the case. I mean, to cover my ass, maybe that isn't. Maybe he, you know, that isn't the case. Of the marriage. Anyway, the worry is that sometimes you'll pick up just, you know, you'll just pick up on a vibe and you'll end up saying something. Yes, because certainly if you're working in the area of improvising, yeah, saying around the, first the body idea, language, the first exactly. thing that comes to you, the actual body language, yes, mm-hmm. very dangerous. Yeah, it can be dangerous. <sighs> yeah, it's scary. It's not boring though. No, it's not boring. No. <laughs> okay. I guess this is the, the sort of final element uh, of the show, and we, we must finish. We're out of time. But um, uh, I was uh, interviewing Mark Watson at McCunshaw Festival at the weekend, and yeah. spent a good half of the interview trying to convince him that he should love himself as much as we all love him. Uh, yeah, right. So it'll be a quest of ours now, people, to uh, 
to convince you you're not boring by paying members of the clergy to sit in your front row <laughs> and give you unique and exciting experiences. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking the brilliant Nina Conti. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. That was the superb Nina Conti. Thank you to her for coming along. NinaConti.net forward slash live to get tickets for her improvised ventriloquism show in your face. And uh, yeah, so do that. Do that immediately. Thank you to Nathan Wood for uh, co-producing this show. Remember, Will Anderson is at Soho Theatre with me. Uh, Coming up the next few episodes, we've got Mark Watson. Uh, I recorded uh, Mitch Ben. Great episode with Mitch Ben from The Now Show. Uh, I uh, recorded that at the Tallinn Comedy Festival last week. Uh, And we're also going to hear from Ian Stone, who I recorded earlier in the month but have yet to release. So those ones are all coming back. I'm booking at the moment, so uh, email me in info at comedianscomedian.com or tweet me at comcompod if you would care to suggest someone you'd like to hear from or a a type of genre of comic we've not covered I'm going to get Raymond and Timkin's review on soon and if you haven't heard about them they are going to blow your mind remember ladies and gentlemen the Comedians Comedian podcast is not a substitute for actually doing some of your own writing oh it burns speak to you soon Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.